0: Hello and welcome to the Pioneers of the Great Awakening. Today we have an amazing guest, Jason Alburn. He is the presenter of Weekends with Jason Alburn on TNT Radio. He has spent his 20 years of his career working in commercial television in various roles and 12 years as a producer. Five years ago he launched World Series News to report the facts in the Last year of the Trump presidency before graduating into COVID statistic reporting, he set up a million moms for informed consent during the COVID and noticed a shortage of options for mental health and homeschooling. He became a counselor in 2022 and has a practice called Higher purpose counseling. He got in this to explore and report the news that was being under and inadequately reported. Welcome to the show, Jason. It's a pleasure to have you join us.
1: You know what? It's a pleasure to join you as well. And thank you for doing the work that you're doing as well. It's really important that we continue to work and hone in and focus on on what is going to be the new media post whatever this great awakening crash involves. It's a, it's a real delight to be honing our skills together uh, in, in this process that you're doing. I've noticed, Gish, you've had some really good guests on your show.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jason. Welcome to the podcast. Tell us something interesting about yourself that most people don't know.
1: Oh, ah, this is this is a, a question because I I I do wear my heart on my sleeve, so I tend to talk about a lot of things that that others wouldn't. But um, uh, whilst I'm a pretty serious guy about a, a lot of um. A lot of the stuff because I'm concerned about the big picture and I'm concerned about the future for my children. Uh, I do get uh, perhaps a little bit fanatical about the things that I love and and for example, my uh, my two youngest children decided that they wanted to play cricket. So of course I put my hand up to be the coach of the team. And in the last few months, uh, I decided to uh, reignite my cricket love. And together with my children, we've collected twenty cricket bats and we have a virtual museum now in our house that we that we talk about. So we um that. That we show off when we play and uh, there's something about being involved in a sport that provides pure escapism and of course there's the health benefits as well and there's the glory that's involved but for me cricket is one of those sports that most people don't understand until they get into it and it's now divided, there's a real war going on in the sport between the long form of the game which is um, five days, uh, a test match and the short form of the game which is played over about three hours, completely different forms and uh, the three hour game of course is drawing more attention but the purists like me support the long form of the game and they're completely different. And the reason that I love the long form of the game is that uh, once you get all the skills, it's a game of psychology and endurance and that's why it's called Test Cricket. So it's it's one of those things that, that I love. Uh, similarly, I was a, a big movie buff for many, many years. And in the last few years, it's almost unbearable to watch anything that Hollywood puts out. It's almost, uh, it's repellent uh, that that would be the case. So uh, my interest became in, in a different form of storytelling. And these days, the real life documentary storytelling is almost done on a daily basis by uh, people gathering the news and turning them into great stories. So very, very different interest. Uh, I, I was hopeless at English at school. I was a terrible writer, couldn't comprehend, didn't like reading. And then all of a sudden I got some good coaching at the end of school. I uh, got some good coaching from a, a, someone, a colleague that I worked with when I was a sales rep who taught me how to write speeches. Goodness me. And uh, and then all of a sudden found a love for writing. So there's no limit to your learning capacity. So they're just some of the reasons why that But um, uh, I've ended up what I'm doing, what I'm doing, loving what I'm doing. How does that sound?
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, it's not the movie industry is crap now. I mean, it's like the other day I was watching these uh, 1950s Mexican movies in black and white and the, the comedy was so much better than what they have now. It's just like, they don't dare today to say anything. I think the last good comedy, kind of crude comedy that I saw was uh, The Hangover, you know. Now like they wouldn't dare to, because of all this woke agenda and everything, they wouldn't dare to, you know, really actually say stuff. But yeah I'm a movie buff also and I love good stuff and good stories. I think that storytelling is probably the ancient form of medicine that we have and we we're always telling stories to each other and I believe that stories have an incredible power of healing power and and that's what we do literally in our lives we we're living the story of our lives and sharing the story to each other. Jason what was your fork in the road the one that got you where you are right now the one thing that happened or it could be a series of things that actually got you to become now who you are what you're doing standing up for what's important at this time in in our in our civilization
1: now i I think it's a it's a it's it's a combination of forks and it's probably worth going back to the beginning and I'll, i'll try and get out as quickly as i can but um, as a as, as about a 10-year-old boy, uh, 1982, my father picked me up from school at the end of the school year, and every day uh, he would buy the two afternoons, afternoon Sydney newspapers, and he bought them for the form guide. He was a racing fan. He used to love the horse races. But he also read the news and read the sport, and on the front cover of them both, he point- pointed to the fact that the Labor Party in Australia had dumped their leader in favour of Bob Hawke after Malcolm Fraser, the Liberal Prime Minister, had called an election. And I said, 10 years old, I said, what does this mean? He says, well, Bob Hawke's going to be the new Prime Minister of Australia. And I'd only ever known Malcolm Fraser for since 1975, so the first seven years of my life, that was the only Prime Minister. I just thought he was the Prime Minister, and that's how it worked. So when he won, when Hawke won the election in 1983... I thought my father was an oracle because, of course, no one in my local area, we lived in a liberal area, even mentioned the name Bob Hawke. So I thought, wow. And that sparked my interest. What does my father know and what do I want to know that my father knows? So I became very interested uh, and got into high school. And by about year 89, we were already studying economics and Paul Keating, who was the treasurer then. And I got very interested in politics and I wanted to know how the world worked. Well, Fast forward and I go to university and I study political science more out of not really knowing what I wanted to do, but I was very interested again. I still didn't want to join a political party. I thought that was a bit of a bridge too far and I wasn't quite up on everything, didn't join Young Labor or Young Liberal. But I did go and see a film in 1991 called JFK that I reckon that every one of your audience has seen. That changed my life. I saw it three times at the cinema. It was a three hour film, which was pretty good for a a uni student who was working in a video store at the time had just got obsessed with this movie. And what it taught me was that authority lies. Fast forward to 2008, uh, obviously we'd lived through September 11, but it wasn't until I was working overnight shift at Fox Sports in a presentation suite, which is basically a DJ for TV, trying to stay up at wake at night, uh, working the midnight to 7am shift, seven nights in a row. It's pretty taxing. And someone said, you need to watch this film on YouTube, which can you believe it was on YouTube, was Zeitgeist by Peter Joseph. And that woke me up to a whole bunch of things. And that was my awakening. I reckon by the end of that week, I had learned about aliens, I had learned about um, uh, demons, I'd learned about the uh, the pedo agenda, I'd learned about all sorts of different things, and I was red-pilled to the max. So that was pretty much where I sort of got my interest from. I was very interested then, and of course the GFC happened, which my... Uh, my stepsister, who worked for Reuters at the time, and I both predicted months in advance, and, uh, and that was the only time we agreed on anything in our entire lives, uh, and, and, but it was over the, the fact that the GFC was coming, and it did. Uh, and then uh, fast forward to 2015 in April, Bernie Sanders announced that he's going to run for president. I'm still a lefty at this stage and I'm all in for Bernie Sanders because there was three things that I loved and they were $15 an hour minimum wage. Now, why would an Australian care about this? But because we have pretty much a... A very fair welfare state at least up until the last few years here in Australia. So $15 an hour minimum wage was reasonable. Free public tertiary education was my understanding of what was offered and free universal healthcare which is what we have here in Medicare. So I thought that was entirely reasonable and America could certainly learn a lesson from uh, the Australian experience. Of course we had moved away from um, a free tertiary education and we'd moved to a higher education contribution scheme where students now pay between 30 perhaps and, and 150 $50,000 to get a degree, and they paid off much like the US student loan system. Uh, so that was an interesting one. But I understood that it was for public education. Well, my brother moved to the United States, and he settled in California, and he went to a community college and got a qualification there in acting, uh, and went on to uh, do a little bit of acting work there. And he raved about it. He said, it's the best community college uh, course or, or any course for acting uh, that, that I can find that I can afford to get into. So that was all the reasons why. And of course, in June of 2016, when uh, Sanders, who was miles in front of Clinton, promised to contest the convention and did it and did not, that broke my heart. And it broke the heart of thousands of my Bernie fans on on Facebook that we were all communicating with and literally campaigning digitally in, in pretty much what I thought was the first digital campaign as such that we'd ever got used to the way that that was going on from the not more than the Obama days, because that was more of a juggernaut. Um That put me into a deep, dark depression for quite a few months because I knew that the Clinton plan was pretty much what we're seeing today, was going to be executed one way or another, and, of course, we're trying to do whatever we could, and I had totally given up on the idea that there was any resistance. And a friend of mine uh, who happens to uh, be an economics lecturer at a university contacted me and said, you need to watch the Donald Trump-Al Smith charity dinner roast speech. I said, why would I want to do that? He said, just watch it. And it was 16 minutes, and it was probably – I would argue, possibly or probably the greatest political speech I've ever seen. That man stood up in front of the establishment, in front of the church, and called out all of the corruption, all of it. And I thought, we have someone at play. But I still didn't believe that nine days before the election, that this man could actually win the election. So it was the first US election that I didn't care to watch the results. I went to bed. My wife woke me up and said, you're not going to believe it, but Trump won. Well, that changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. So I went from a lefty to a Trumpy overnight. I got onto social media. And you know what's amazing? Thousands of my friends overnight became Trump supporters. No one said a word, not planned. All of them just realized that the anti-establishment candidate did win. And where there is life, there is hope. And from that day, I sort of I I, I find it hard to watch Trump speak because I think he speaks down. To to the masses in a way to oversimplify perhaps uh what's going on, because I don't necessarily appreciate everything he says, but you can you can appreciate the sentiment, you can appreciate what's going on and you can follow the actions. And when he ditched the Trans-Pacific Partnership virtually on day one of his presidency, I knew he was fed income. That was a huge deal. Uh, that meant that he broke the back of the globalists, then he pulled out of Kyoto, he smacked them again. And then, of course, when Brexit was uh was reached during his term in office, that was the third nail in the coffin for the globalists. And um, you wouldn't um, think of this uh, epifania but um uh, the voice that was defeated here in australia our referendum last year was another kick in the guts for the globalists uh because there was a an under an undercurrent of uh, United Nations influence there that was going to change things if the voice got up. So there's a number of different things. So I learned in real time that I was anti-globalism. I was certainly anti-monarchy because I'm anti-corruption. And when you put all those things together, you come up with something else. You become pro-human, pro-opportunity. Uh, and then, of course, pro-free will. So I'm very much against the hive mind. And, of course, the whole issue of the uh, the virus, the pandemic, was the real line in the sand. So that's where I went from reporting on Trump realities that weren't being reported. And suddenly in the beginning of uh, in, in the COVID period, I realised that there was one journalist uh, in Australia, Alan Jones, that was calling out the reality of the figures. And I thought, wow, they are really different to what we're being told. So I got onto government web- websites and um, and read the statistics and started reporting. Exactly what they were saying, simplifying them and interpreting for the audience. And all of a sudden, I was pulling a substantial audience. Next thing I know, I get offered uh, to do a video interview on a show called Asia Pacific Today, uh, which is now morphed into TNT radio. And literally, I was booked for a six minute spot, recorded 25 minutes, and was offered a job on the spot. How's that?
0: Beautiful, beautiful. And and that was absolutely, you stood up and say, this is it, this is the time. And it's, it's so interesting you say, because I was also a full-on Bernie supporter. I wasn't really into socialism, but I kind of was gladly being kind of mind brainwashed, you know, to believe that it was okay, because, you know, some European countries are like, democratic socialism. I'm happy that Bernie didn't win because he would have been squatted like a cockroach, you know, in the first day. I mean, he just did not have the fight that Trump has. He's a warrior. He's a bulldog. Uh, uh, what's he called? Uh, um, a pit bull. He, he is He is. He's he a fighter. And that's what we need at this time, a full on fighter that that is not going to, you know, he's going to keep throwing punches. You know, it doesn't matter. Because the fight is real. And so when we had that, and now we still still haven't gotten that laptop from Seth Rich about the whole thing that happened in the DNC. So all of these things and, and it's very interesting I actually had uh, you know a very uh, a teacher that I respect highly that actually told us when everybody was liberal, you know Trump is Trump is the one and I didn't like him. I didn't like Trump. I thought he was just rude and and I was kind of also a little bit indoctrinated by the machine, you know. But little by little, I realized that he's, he's just never been a politician. He doesn't know how to talk like a politician, which is good. We don't need people to talk like politicians, which is just two face and two tongues, you know, and, and it's like disgusting. But now we have a real person that's fighting. And so because of that win, we are not enslaved as humanity, I believe, because if you know the you know 16-year-old plan, you know, with Obama and Hillary thing, the whole thing, it kind of got... Totally destroyed, you know, but now they're trying to prop it out with this puppet they have here in the White House, you know, and he's like, he's totally red pilling more people because he's a moron, you know, and it's so it's exciting and it's fun to see all of this stuff. But tell us when was the deepest, darkest, worst moment of your life when you went all the way down to the bottom and met that darkness? When was that in your life?
1: Okay. Well, there's there's both a political and a and a personal story. And perhaps I can start with the personal. Um 2012, I got uh, I got married. It was um it was the first time I got married, but it was my second long-term relationship. Um, so serious, where where I, I was in love and and, and had a family, etc. But this time we, we got married, it was the proper way to go, of course and um shortly after i find out that my mother was diagnosed with terminal cardiac angiosarcoma which is heart cancer and it's the rarest cancer around at the time only 300 people in all of human history had ever caught this disease and here was my mother an innocent 66 year old flight nurse living in australia who catches this disease it blew me away my father had died six years early just in in his early 60s of esophageal cancer And i thought oh my god this has come home to get us And uh, it infuriated me. That prompted me to do the research. And ironically, it was a post from the Zeitgeist page that talked about cannabis and cancer and the autophagy of cells. So I did some research and I showed it to my mother and I said, what do you think about this? She said, I'll try anything. And uh, we had to go about the business of uh, getting hold of this medicine, literally having to make it because there was no such thing around. And uh, she was given a prognosis of three months uh, to live. And on this medicine, she got 11 and a half months with absolutely no side effects from the chemotherapy program that the doctors talked her into having, which was pushed directly into her heart. It stopped the tumor from growing for some stage. And she had 11 and a half months of no side effects whatsoever. She got on with her life. She uh, went out, socialized, got on her boat with uh, with my stepdad. uh, And she even uh, went to work three weeks before she died. However, inside that story was that my wife got pregnant And uh, we decided to name our firstborn, which we found out was a daughter after my mother. And we're going to call her Tanya. And at 31 weeks, we lost our daughter stillborn um, through a a strange clotting um, problem that my wife had had uh, that was somehow genetic that didn't affect her firstborn son. That She had a a son uh, before and um, uh, in a a previous uh, relationship. And so this this shocked us. Um, We came home and um, we went to see, you know, doctors and counsellors, and they all kept saying the same thing, take your time, it's a horrible thing to happen, Ra ra ra. And I looked at my, my wife and I said, you know, mum, uh, mum's dying, um, what are we waiting for? And my wife agreed, and within a month she was pregnant again, and my son Hudson was born 20 days before mum died on my late father's 70th anniversary on his birthday. And that proved to me that you are the master of your own domain. So I went from rock bottom to absolutely changing everything, knowing that all power comes from within, if you know what you really want. That blew my mind. Now, it also gave me the determination. Now, I think this is interesting because I was an atheist by that stage, grew up in a a family that was moderately believing, participated, became an atheist. And by the time this happened, I knew a lot of people who had suffered profound loss and walked away from their beliefs. You know what? I found God at this stage because all I could deduce from this was why would God take away an innocent child and defy the laws of nature? You don't bury a child. You're meant to bury your parents, not your children. And it occurred to me that life is distilled down to two very simple fundamentals. Find the joy, and if you can't, take the growth. That's all there is. So what's the growth in losing a child? It's to determine that you want to educate others, you want to help others in their mental health battles, and you want to go about the business of finding joy and also living your best life to honour those that cannot be here to have theirs. And I think that there is no better way to live your life than do that. And that's how I found it. So I found that profound. Now, on the other side of the thing, in that 2015, 2016 experience for what was going on, I'll never forget getting onto 4chan and reading up on a person called FBI Anon. And this was at the stage where they knew that Hillary was going to be uh, the, the, the candidate. And someone talked about the idea well, why can't they just wipe her out? FBI and on said, well, if you do that, you just get replaced with someone else. That's not the problem. FBI and on went on in this conversation that was archived. So you couldn't add any more information to say that you need to keep digging. You're doing a very good job, but human trafficking is where it really is all about. And that includes the elites. That was the deep, deep, dark hole from that moment. I've never seen such dedication from people who are so brilliant at researching, and all of them should either be working for intelligence agencies or should be the deep investigators in the new media that should form from that point. Then I used to consider when I discovered Epstein Island and the the flight logs and all of that information, and then the Royals and Jimmy Savile and Prince Andrew and all the rest of it. And I just used to think about what might actually go on at these events. Could you imagine that they arrive, whether on aeroplane or by boat, and they arrive in their dinner suits or their fancy clothes with big grins on their faces and 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 they're greeted by, you know, scantily clad young women handing out cocktails and all that nonsense and they go into a room and then they're met by Epstein and Maxwell, perhaps something like out of, you know, Eyes Wide Shut. And the next thing you know, someone's in a dark room as illustrated by Fiona Barnett in her work that she did. Uh, a lady that was a victim of some of this many years ago, who I've interviewed many times, actually. Uh, and people can look that up on my uh, Rumble page if they want to, uh, to look up Fiona's interviews. And I've also recently interviewed Kathy O'Brien, whom people might remember was the lady from who was also sold into MK Ultra. So this is very real. And their stories corroborate. They have the same stories. They, uh, they tell the, the, the same patterns, et cetera. So when I considered that the people that are making decisions for you, me, and everyone else watching in the whole world, uh, into this type of stuff, that was my deep, dark hole. That got me depressed to a point, but it also provided me purpose. And then I realised the work that Julian Assange was doing, and, of course, he released the pedestophiles out of WikiLeaks, which blew up Beats Gate. and That's when I knew that we were in the long haul here and we were working for God and working for good. And, that, uh, and, and so I, I knew that, in your, in, and I always say this, um, is always use your weakness as your strength. And I know that sounds silly, and I can probably come up with some more examples during the time. But if you realise how dark the world is, then you know that the only answer is to resist it. So therefore, despite the fact that we're nobody against this juggernaut, we're not. We're the 8 billion who are getting ruled by this juggernaut. So in actual fact, whilst we have no power, we have all the power. And so it's a uh, it's a paradigm shift in thinking. So that, that, again, blew my mind. And fast forward, look, it's here we are in 2024. We're having a conversation about exactly this, which tells me that while there's life, there's hope, and I have a profound feeling that uh, victory is not far away.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, uh, you obviously saw the, the the latest movie here by Gene Cavizio, right? The Sound of Freedom, right? Mm. So it's like when you start really digging down that dark hole, it's just nasty, and you realize it's not teenagers, it's babies. And it's like at that point, your inner you know warrior just stands up and says, enough of this. Insanity, you know. This is this is the decline of a civilization, and we we are we will not stand for that. And it's true. It's like, and I don't see it as a weakness. I see it like as a, a, a information guerrilla. Like we are all these little warriors planting these bombs underneath you. They don't see us because we're little, and we're literally bringing down the whole thing because people are realizing, in so many ways, that the entire thing is supported by our attention. If we just move our attention from the lies of the mainstream and put it somewhere else, which is also challenging in the underground because there's a lot of bullshit that you have to kind of like minds that are on the field. But eventually you're going to start when you activate that. And I, I think that's that's the thing that really connects us all, that that connection to integrity, to God, that love, that that, you know, will for life for for respecting life and protecting life that acts as an internal navigation system and all you really have to do is get past those kind of like voices of trying to create more chaos and more war right but when we when we get past that we're actually providing another version of not another version, but another perspective of the same thing that shines that light into the darkness. And it is very, very important right now. So you've already tapped into a little bit of what I'm I'm about to ask you right now, a lot of it. But if you want to add a little bit more, what lessons did you learn on all of this and this darkest period of your life, these these two areas of your life? What lessons did you learn?
1: You know, Constantly reflecting and the process of learning what meditation is and then practicing is the great art form because it teaches you everything from the ability that it automatically takes you to the big picture. It's very easy to get caught up in the minutia of life. You lose a job, can't pay your rent you get sucked into it, you start drinking, uh, you get yourself into trouble, all of those stupid things that go on that can spiral you into this little world. But the process of being able to see a big picture automatically takes you above all of that. And you realise just how much power you really have from the perspective that you just don't get caught up in areas that the system kind of allows you to fall into and then makes you dependent on it in order to bring you out. And you never really get back to zero, let alone, let alone get on with the rest of your life. And in the process of reflecting on that, it's it's funny that you know we're bringing this up. And 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 as you were talking, then I'm scribbling on a notepad in front of me. And I recommend that to all people that are doing the work like you're doing, uh, Pifiano. That um, that when you get in this and you start asking questions and interviewing, and it's such a beautiful thing because at at the very beginning it's nothing more than a televised conversation with a friend uh, that you're turning into content that you can use, but taking the notes and remembering because there's so much that we forget in the heat of the moment in, in, in a short interview like we're doing today. But there I was reflecting the other day and it occurred to me that you can think yourself out of the belief in God. You can just think yourself out of it. Science does it for you. It tells you that creation was wrong, the Bible was wrong, the earth's four billion years old, the universe is 13 billion years old. You know, all of these justifications that 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 you can talk yourself out of it. But you know what's interesting in that process of what you asked in that question is the only way, the only answer to all of it is you just have to find God. Once you find God, all the satanic stuff goes away. It's obvious. But you only find God through love. So when you find experience, real love, and it doesn't necessarily have to mean the love of a a partner or a loved one, you can love your cat, you can love your dog. They're not even the same species, but people love their animals, of course. And the way that they love them and therefore treat them is the pathway to God. And the funny thing about finding God is you find God within. It's not out, it's inside you. And there is the real power. And I, I thought that was really interesting because we're living in this strange world at the moment that it's almost offensive in the media to even say god i mean people are getting taken off facebook for using the word jesus christ and god bless you they've been taken down for a um, for community standards can you believe that i mean it, it, that's how stupid it is and therefore when you know who the enemy is and therefore you know who the opposite of the enemy is then you got your fight and then mm-hmm. you're it one way or another
0: absolutely once you find that grounding nothing is going to stop you that you know and, and that was a big thing for me when I suddenly like made a stand and say, I'm going to have to speak because I have to. And then you see everybody, you know, unfriending you, unfriending you. And, and you realize, you know, this isn't popular. And, and I and you lose your you know support or your community, whatever you want to call it. But it was exactly what you were supposed to do, because now you because you've become and you've kind of like centered yourself and, and really connected with your truth. Now that opens up another path, another timeline. And you're going to be attracting the people that are resonated with that same kind of energy. And that is exactly what's needed, you know, to people become authentic, you know, who they are and really start communicating all this stuff that because of the of the, the way that the media has designed and the whole structure of this, you know, takeover, because it's a takeover, um. How it has been designed to to put people in boxes so that they, they are afraid to even ask the questions, to even look for. And then next thing they're telling them because they've been on a reign of orders, well, now you cannot even talk about God. You know, but we're gonna put a satanic stock, you know, a, a statue in, in in Congress or whatever. They had this in uh, in in the there was a place in somewhere here in the United States, they put it on um on one of the city hall, right? And it's like and and, and it's okay. You know, and so it's like at that point you realize, well, what does that even represent? You know, this that's a dark religion. What does it does and what does it stands for? Like I've, I've started not just, you know, I see God in all I, I, the way I see God. And that's how I connected. I i, I wanted to know God. So I, I talked directly to God because I was raised Catholic my whole life. And eventually I realized that God is everywhere. It is everything. It's in the hearts of people. It's, it is in religions, but there's also a lot of bullshit in a lot of religions that people have built on top of, you know, throughout many years. But you have to actually sift through a lot of stuff and really connect to what's important and what is important, our connection with each other. And how do you treat other people? That is all that matters. How do you treat everybody? How do you present yourself in your life? So Jason tells us what keeps you up at night?
1: Well, goodness me, it's uh, it's the inevitable draining of the swamp, to be honest. The ability to realize that this war is going on and on and on. I mean, how many of us thought when the whole Q thing started in what, late 2017 that there'd be the arrest of Hillary Clinton. And here we are, what, seven years later, and there she is trying to tell us that Tucker Carlson's the bad guy, expecting all of us to forget that she sold 20% of America's uranium to Russia while Secretary of State. I mean, it's it's quite incredible, isn't it, um, uh, that, that, that that's going on. What upsets me is, you know, 2020 and what we saw go on there, that it's obvious that uh, that we were once again gaslit by the system, We were warned by the Q post that it would involve military tribunals. So I maintain some sort of hope that uh, there is the deep plan that's going on there. I'm I'm, uh, offered a lot of hope that I think that the people on the good side are going to get together and are also playing the system. After all, if we are watching a movie, the movie that I'm watching tells me that Trump will win the election because no one will vote for Biden. I expect that he could, or even if it gets that bad, he could win all 50 states, Trump. That would be perfect. Uh, that would be one more than Reagan, of course, against Mondale. But I expect that after a long recruiting process, he will come out and announce that his Attorney General, after going through the Republicans and the Democrats, will be Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And I think that will be the beginning of the end for the swamp because there will be no nothing they can do at that point. He'll expose the JFK plot, he will expose the COVID plot, the jab plot, and then there will be questions and more questions, and then we'll get the answers that we're looking for. That's my real belief. Uh, that's my highest hope that uh, this is coming out. And in my work, I've had the luxury of speaking to people uh, connected to both campaigns. And When I brought it up to them in private, they've said to me things like, you would be onto something. And that brings me a lot of warmth and comfort and, uh, and strength and power to think that you don't have to be the best of friends and you can also be playing with people on the side because there's a weird thing about politics that people say, oh, no, I'm not going to run for president, and then a week later they're running for president. Oh, no, no, we're not friends. We'll never work together. Oh, we're working together. It's kind of like you've got to say the opposite in order to realise that there was, to, uh, to, to, to play on the pun, an epiphany that we're going to uh, now realize that we do have more in common than against each other, and we're going to work together. And I think that's really interesting.
0: Absolutely true. You know, I, I, I've at some point I stopped kind of looking at dates and and you making predictions and stuff, and and as like, but I do understand that there's a lot of people fighting on both sides, and inside of the whole. You know soup of politics that we don't even know what the depth of that you know most of it is it's nasty stuff but i do see i mean the main probably the biggest challenge that i'm seeing here because i'm in arizona it's the literal army that is invading the united states we are being invaded right now the united states is being invaded and it's people from all over the world It's military age people men and obviously, uh, you know they're bringing a lot of women and children trafficking, which is horrifying. And uh, Biden is literally just greeting them in and, you know, sending them on on, on buses through spreading them throughout all of all the United States, particularly the states that he knows he needs to win. And he's hosting them on hotels and giving them cards with, you know, five thousand dollars and cell phones. And in New York, I'm sure you just heard about these guys that went you know, beat up a police officer. They go to jail. They let them out. They come out just, you know, giving the finger to everybody. And so it's it's that is probably the greatest challenge right now, because all of the United States is literally uniting behind Trump one way or another, except obviously the people that are totally asleep and they cannot really figure out anything. But. They can't tell that this criminal we have in the White House right now, this 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 uh, this this person that took over through a political coup, basically that's what he did. Um and he's not even in in control. He's just, you know, has a micro headphone in, in the ear, you know, taking orders. He cannot even take the orders properly. You know, he's like the other day, he's like, you know, oh, I talked with somebody that's already dead, there the Chancellor of Germany or something like that, you know. So it's like Even the liberals and and all the people, by the way, I I, I used to be like full on liberal, and then I went all the way to, and now I'm like kind of like the center, you know, you need both sides, you need, you know, conservative values that are ground, but you also need to expand, but now the whole thing is falling apart because it's a mess. And so even the hardcore people that were being liberals for a long time, they're like saying, you know what, something's really wrong here. So... You know, I hope you're right. And I like the idea of J.F.K., uh, J. um, Robert Jr. um, as the the attorney general, because he would be just, that's what he is. He's an attorney. But, you know, here's what I think that's going to really trigger the whole thing. Really the lawsuits against Pfizer and Moderna and, and AstraZeneca, because they're coming on. The people are really standing up and saying these adverse reaction effects are, off the charts and they, they can't contain that anymore. And they've been sued before, but I think that this is really what's going to wake up the world when they found out we were bamboozled into taking a bioweapon into our bodies. Who knows what kind of stuff it has in it? It's probably changing people's DNA and, and it might even have nanotechnology. We don't even know. I don't go into speculatives. I like to you know, look at my you know, facts. Or They're not facts because ultimately any kind of information can be altered, but as much information as I can get and then make educated decisions. So, Jason, what is your vision for humanity's future?
1: Oh, what a great question. Okay. Can I just do a little bit of background? Because I just want to cover off on a point from the previous question. Yes, absolutely. The other thing that keeps me up at night, it's a strange word, idealism. And what I mean by that is that we all believe that we, we have this perfect goal. And this leads into the questions you've asked. But the problem that we have in our movement at the moment is idealism is causing friction and fracture in the movement. People will argue that a certain person is a shill or that they're, that they're, they're controlled opposition. And this term controlled opposition sends me crazy because when you're fighting a war in politics, you must understand that politics is a blood sport. That means that uh, it's a game of inches and like Trump tried to do what he had to do, but he was infiltrated by people that were termites in his administration. They were destroying it from within. So therefore, the idea of being an idealist uh, is is noble on the surface, but it also gets you into a lot of trouble. People will say David Icke is controlled opposition, which is ridiculous. David Icke told us all about this stuff, you know, 25 years before he even knew what it was. That Russell Brand is controlled opposition because he did an interview with Yuval Harari and, and hugged him. I mean, people mock people at the same time and they try and curry favour. And Russell Brand is an actor. But he's also a really very beautifully spoken, clever individual who, when he says things, you've got to pay attention to. There are colleagues of mine that people say are controlled opposition. Goodness me, people have said to me, to my face, that I'm controlled opposition because I decided to represent my electorate working for a political party that was believing in what I believed in that just happened to have a billionaire who was financing it. And they didn't like the billionaire because he once wore red shoes at a rally, not realising that they were red shoes that were given to him by his wife. And that was, you know, soundly debunked, but they go down these different pathways. So that part of it is ridiculous. And you have to focus that the enemy of my enemy is my friend and there will be people on both sides that are dirty and they will be dealt with in time. But to destroy a system... Someone said the other day that Julian Assange was controlled opposition. And I just said, look, sorry, you have to go and see a psychiatrist because the man's in jail without charge and has been detained for 15 years fighting for humanity. So... Julian Assange is at the apex of all of our vision for humanity. He's the person that's trying to bring truth to the population. He's the person that's paid almost the highest price. In many ways, he could well be freedom's own Nelson Mandela. I pray that Julian Assange is released, that the truth comes out, and Julian Assange becomes the first president of a non-monarch Australian republic. That would blow my mind. But I also think, like the idea of um, uh, the, the court cases against these big pharma companies, I think it gets even bigger. I think what happens is it sparks the greatest class action in human history, that everyone in power and money is taken out. And this, the only way that it could ever be adequately repaid, is that when... We have to have a total debt reset slash jubilee and you arrive at the Nasara jassara proposition. And that is keep what you have and start again and compensation made to those that don't. For example, if you're a renter, you would live in the property that you have, that would be given to you. The landlord would be compensated in some net cash dividend or whatever, but there'd be a way in which that the money is shifted. I see that um, most likely, uh, the deep state Americans, the Faucis, the Eco Health Alliance, Dash Acts, and those guys are all outed. The Gates's, the World Health Organization, uh, and also Wuhan and China for their complicitness, Ukraine and the biolabs and the biolabs that are all around the world all form part of this whole approach. That takes out the intelligence agencies all around the world uh, automatically. It means that you've got to have military tribunals. It means that Guantanamo Bay is going to be full and full and more full uh, because all of this starts to make sense. And then when the people have no longer got a debt burden and the people are no longer restrained, and then we can get over this climate hoax and realise what we're really up against. And then we can go about the business of rebuilding the planet. But sadly, I think in this wash up that this uh, vaccine uh, was determined for their great agenda. And I think it comes down to one word. It starts with D and it ends with N and it says depopulation is what these crazy people believe. They have convinced themselves that planet Earth should have no more than 2 billion people. Some say 500 million. I'm quoting Dennis Meadows, who used to work many years ago, a scientist still alive today, for the Council on Foreign Relations process of this. And he says in a speech that it's his hope that the population is reduced to 1 billion, maybe 2 billion. He just hopes that it will be done peacefully and fairly, if you can believe that.
0: I know. You know, it's important to uh, address that the alternative media underground—it's infiltrated. There are psyops within psyops within psyops. Um, I think it's war all over the place. And, and yes, um, idealism, right? Um, I, you know, the, the, the kind of, I would call it in—I would call it jingoism. You know, it's like for me, it's like I, I, you know, this, 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 and then it's that and nothing else. And and so we all have that, you know, because the way we've been raised. And so and that's a thing I see a lot in, in, you know. You know, when we're talking about Trump, it's like, fuck liberals, you know, and all that stuff. And it's like, no, they're just people I have friends that I love that are really good people. They're full on liberals. I cannot go to these depths with them because it would destroy their lives. They're not ready to listen to. They need to actually have the experience of the shed hitting the fan and they actually seeing it. And then I'm going to show up and hold them and say, hey, it's okay. I know what's going on. Don't don't, you know, fall apart. Right. But you cannot tell this to certain a lot of people because they just can't handle it. You me, I do it on my own. I do it in, you know, in this in, in this medium to reach the people. But there are chills. And, you know, the one thing that I stay away from is dates when people start putting on dates. That's the one thing I've seen the shells really bring a lot and it demoralizes people because they say, this date, this is gonna happen and it doesn't happen. And next week they come with another date and it and it doesn't happen. And people start losing their minds because and then the other thing that I also stay away is, is theories that it's not that they're not true. But that uh, they're not necessarily relevant to the to the common fault to actually figure out the narrative and kind of like address something that's happening now. Like for example, you know, Biden's a clone. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the dude look doesn't look like, you know, he was like 10, 10, 15 years ago. He he maybe he's a clone. Who cares? You know, he's he's there. No, we just gotta get it out of there. You know, and they say, well, if they you get it out, they put somebody else. So same with Hillary. Oh, Hillary's Clinton, or she's in Guantanamo already. Who cares? You know, what we need to do is like, we're here now. What can be done now? All of these are, the way that I see it is these kind of narratives that make the story like a soap opera. And people want that emotional hit, like, yeah, motherfuckers, you know, we got them. They're in Guantanamo. And so it's what does that actually, how does that serve? And so that's kind of my own internal way of sifting through a lot of the underground psyops and but yes, and so um, it's very interesting you said that because, and a question I'm going to ask in a little bit is going to really come relevant what you actually said. So let's go back, backtrack a little bit. What's your vision for humanity's future?
1: All right. I still, I still try to work out why it is that we have this divide in humanity between creation and evolution that we can't even settle on our own origins. And it occurs to me after all the work that I've done that perhaps there's a third origin, which for mine makes a whole lot more sense. It doesn't exclude God whatsoever. And before when you were talking, I was shuffling for some papers and I found this and I wanted to just put it up on screen just to show you if you... Oh, oh just there it is there. It's a, it's a 30-page document. And it's titled Approved for Release Department of the Army, US Army Operational Group, Intelligence and Security Command, Fort George Meade, Maryland... 9 June 1983, analysis and assessment of the gateway process to the commander of the U.S. Army Operational Group. And it says, you've been tasked to provide an assessment of the gateway experience in terms of its mechanics and its ultimate practicality. The gateway tapes was a meditation system. Um, Why would it be classified in 1983 and declassified in 2003? This blew my mind. Now, I'll just refer to... There's a lot in it. It talks about holograms. It talks about all sorts of stuff. But I'm going to read you something, if I can just find my uh, glasses, um, wherever I put them, here they are. Um, just two references that I think are, are astounding because I think it fits into my my ultimate vision. It talks about um, – it, it mentions that uh, that it doesn't destroy people's belief in God. It says that at the outset. And I can send you this on a link um, in the future. Okay. um, Paragraph 27 says, consciousness in perspective, having ascertained that human consciousness is able to separate from physical reality and interact with other intelligences in other dimensions within the universe. So if I pause right there, that proves that the Department of Army realizes that there is other intelligence in life in the universe back in 1983, and that it is both eternal and destined for ultimate return to the absolute, we are faced with the question: So what happens then? Since memory is a function of consciousness, that is our awareness, and therefore enjoys the same eternal character as the consciousness which accounts for its existence, it must be admitted that when consciousness returns to the absolute, which technically means God, it brings with it all the consciousness of the to the absolute. Sorry, it it brings with it all the memories it has accumulated through experience in reality. The return of consciousness to the absolute does not imply an extinction, extinction of the separate entity which the consciousness organized and sustained in reality. In other words, when you die, you lose your skin suit, but you keep your awareness intact and you go back to God. How about that? That's what the Department of Army believes, and this was in the CIA reading room. So that's what they know. Well, that's what they come to know. Now, what does that mean in terms of science? He explains it like this, that your energy, well, as we know, energy is, is movement, right? And he explains it, that, that energy gets to the infinity and it's moving, but at infinity, and I still, it's hard to, to, to grasp the concept of infinity. He says that's when energy Moves to rest. So, energy, its state is rest. That implies God. And then he explains using holograms that God, uh, that energy at rest can't create a hologram, but everything else can. But then is it able to explain um, Jesus Christ within those terms? It's a mind blowing document, mind blowing. So, my vision is when I think of that in terms of what we know and what we don't know, is that we don't know what we don't know. My vision for humanity is obviously within this Great Awakening and and what I call, people say, you know, the the, what do they call it, New Age is is, is nonsense. New Age is very simple to to characterise. The Age of Aquarius is characterised by the horizontal dissemination of information. The Age of Pisces, which we're now in, is characterised by the vertical integration of information, a hierarchy. So the only difference is we remove the hierarchy and everyone has access to the same information and there are no more secrets. So if you apply Occam's razor, then the simplest pathway is the easiest. We are in the process of getting justice. And that process comes through awareness, transparency, and the process of doing what must be done. And the two strongest men that I can see at this stage in the game are the Trump-Kennedy team, Trump President Kennedy AG would make the most sense that they are totally the top of all of this. And you can't tell me that Kennedy doesn't know what's going on with his late cousin, whether he's late or in hiding. That's the I think that's the greatest story ever told. If John Jr. were to emerge and resurrect and tell us that he was number 17 all along, that would be the greatest ending of all, wouldn't it? And then, of course, whether or not we find out that there are other intelligence, either out of the universe. The big story I'm following at the moment is that uh, there may well be other intelligence living within the earth, possibly Antarctica. I do a lot of research and inquiring on that area. And I think that there's something up when John Kerry, three days after the um, uh, election of Trump as the outgoing Secretary of State, makes a trip to Antarctica. Why would he have done that? Was he going to visit someone? Was he receiving instructions? Or was he reassuring his overlords that they had a contingency for this exact matter? And that is what we've seen at the moment. So that tells me that there is people in power that aren't really in power, that people are pulling the strings. And if we're looking at that process, then we must think that they can't necessarily be even human or Dot believing that they're human and these bloodline stories. So then you work out what is then that's the bad story. So the exposure is what they're afraid of, and they use layer upon layer upon layer of deceit and structure and and process and you know globalist organizations and money to do it. So on the other side, when all of that's removed, what do we really want in our lives? If we let's say, for example, we all won $100 million in a lottery and had more money than we could ever spend for the rest of our lives. How would that change our life, given it's us doing it, not your neighbour, not the person down at the factory who says, oh, I've got $100 million now, I'm going to go and buy two new cars and go on a holiday to uh, to Disneyland, and then I'm just going to go back to work on you know in a month's time. Like, that's not a reality. I think that, um, certainly not for me, I think the idea is, is is very simple. I like what Jacques Fresco said in Zeitgeist 2 Addendum when he talked about technology being our friend, not our enemy. If we were to use technology for our benefit and not necessarily the way that AI is going at the moment and chips, et cetera, what would we do with our free time if we didn't have to worry about money? And he says we would explore the human condition. We would read. We would, we would, we would make music. We would make films. We would, you know, create art. We would do wonderful things. We would explore I still like the idea that in my lifetime, if it was to be revealed that there was deep, dark secrets, that human beings would be able to travel to the stars. And I hold that hope, and I've held that hope my entire life. So we have to manifest what it is that we want. And if we get to a stage that we realize that we all want the same things, I think it's inevitable that we achieve them. So whilst it might be my vision that we're going to have a world where there's no debt and our kids are going to be you know, well-educated and well-skilled and, and be able to follow the opportunities that they want to lead, I don't think it happens if it's the wish of one. I think it's got to be the wish of many. Uh, but I also think that we've never been allowed to think of anything great in our lives I asked a question recently of friends and family. I said, what was the last great thing that happened in Australia that we all got behind and we were really proud of? We went back to the Sydney Olympics in 2000. It's been almost a quarter of a century since we've done anything on a national basis that we're proud of. Here in Australia now, Melbourne Cup Day is our big race day, the the annual horse racing event of the year. Then you get people saying nup to the cup because of, you know, um, uh, that a horse might have been, you know, killed or injured or something. It's a thoroughbred racehorse. It's bred to race. It loves to race. Yes, it gets injured. No different to a footballer breaking his ankle on the field and going through the same process. Yes, a horse gets put down, but a horse isn't a human. It's a different process. In Australia, we have Australia Day on January 26th each year, and every year now we're ashamed in Australia because the country of how it was formed. So we're negative on Australia Day. We have Anzac Day. On April 25th each year, Australian New Zealand Army Corps, it's a national day to remember our veterans. Now we're anti-our veterans. Australia has become a country that's ashamed of its own shadow and it feels this ridiculous guilt and this lack of understanding and this inability to be able to move on and realize that where we are is where we are and we can perhaps deal and correct some misdeeds of the past if we think that they are but you can't remove 26 million people out of a country of 27 million people there are 894,000 indigenous people in the country you can't go back so you've got to move forward at that point what do you do about it how do you make australia a great nation it's completely unique in the world away from everyone massive landmass huge center that's unused could we could we could build mountains build nuclear power feed the planet on the incredible food that we could do here just on that alone uh, and yet we never seem to have any big picture deals it's the same process over and over again so i hope that, uh, that there is a way that uh, once we re- achieve justice, and I think it's the great point that you're bringing up, is we all must have a vision for our future. I'm very confident that uh, we can achieve greatness, but I don't know if people actually know how great they can actually make it. I still think people think that you, you 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 go to school, you get a job, you pay rent or you pay off a house and you have five years at the end of it to enjoy it before you hand it over to someone else. I just don't think that that is, that is the human experience. I think it's a lot bigger than that.
0: Yeah, it's because people have been programmed to have little dreams because they wanted to be cogs in a machine. They don't they don't want people to know that they're connected to the universe, that they're actually the light of God. And so if people know that we are the children of God, that we have just like in the Bible, you know, it says um I'm paraphrasing We're made on the image of God, right? So what is God? The creator. So we are creators. And so if we allow ourselves to have all this information and turn it into experience and get to actually have truth based on our deeds, right, then we can actually have this, allow ourselves. But here's the thing. It's like we can't continue to ask permission for for, for this stuff. We just have to do it. Like uh, It's like we've never being allowed, fuck allowed, you know, I mean, I'm going to do it. And so when people start and start saying, you know, we are sovereign beings, we're we're not here to become, be ruled, you know, and the thing that, you know, has happened, same Australia, Canada, you know, it's, it's the British kind of like hegemony that, that's, you know, took over the, it, it was even be, before in England, India and everything, but you're carrying that kind of uh, subjugation in, in some in the legal system, right? So it really needs to come to a point that, that you stand up and say, you know, I'm going to live my life. Obviously, you're having a tremendous challenge because you have no guns there. The same thing, like the nasty stuff that's happening in Canada is insane. I mean, I see these, these videos of Trudeau just doing his, like, little monkey dance in Congress, you know, and I mean, it's like, it's disgusting. But I think that the more and more people, that have that awaken it's like little kind of dots in in the in the jar little marbles that are filling up and at some point this thing it's going to overflow and we are reaching that point but yeah it's we have to we don't ask for permission to dream for big dreams we we do it and that's what I think that would be my message you know don't ask for permission just do it Dream big. And yes, I love that. And I think we're going to have to have another episode talk about space and all that stuff because I'm all about space and all that. I mean, that's that's my thing. But uh, yes. what do you think, and you probably answered a little bit more on this before, what do you think we can do to inspire unity among the different groups of the awakening movement? You've already tapped a little bit with the ideology and all of that stuff. but If you can mm. elaborate a little more on that.
1: You, you know... Um... <sighs> you got you got to get your head right before you get into that. And people have been accumulating information since 2015, give or take. We're almost at 10 years. That's World War I and World War II combined. So people are full. I had the opportunity last weekend to interview a fellow called Josiah Baker. He's a PhD and an associate professor of economics. And he just happened to work with a therapist and author, the late Ulf Sandstrom, Swede, who wrote a book called The Optimist. And this is the story of two men. In actual fact, it's a self-help book, and it's a traditional self-help book in trying to get you to understand positivity and give you work exercises along the way. But what it does differently is its story is told in the form of a novella, a fictional story between two men, one who is a poor man down on his luck. And one day after realising he'd lost some girlfriends and was sitting at home watching basketball and hockey matches on TV with nothing to show for his work and changing from job to job goes outside and a bald eagle flies directly at him and as he approaches, drops a gold coin at his feet. The man bends down and picks it up and the moment he touches the coin, he has a divine intervention and it tells him to focus on four things, to be able to create, to love, to enjoy and to serve. And with that, it's exactly what he does. And he gets a job in a cafe, very soon becomes the manager and runs the whole place. Everyone loves him. And he has the time of his life. He meets the love of his life, and this rich man comes in every day, and he thinks he could be a politician or a businessman. And he buys a dozen pastries and coffee. A few people around, and he's he's gruff and he's cranky, and he's uh, and he eats and carries on and loud and whatever. And he always leaves a big tip, so they just accept what's going on. One time, one time, the first fellow Carl approaches the the, the wealthy man Woody, and they start up a conversation. And the plot leads to the fact that Carl invites Woody to realise that he's not so happy about his life, and he realises it. So they take a trip around the United States to eight destinations. And in that process, Woody realises how unhappy he is, and he changes his life on Carl's guidance. Carl returns, and three years later, Carl is now miserable because he realises that for doing everything he does, he's never made any money, and this was part of the promise So, of course, it's Woody's turn to say, well, I'm a billionaire. I'm going to teach you how to make some money. And what I loved about it, it was a a self-help book that teaches you how to make money. So if you discount um, um, uh, Tony Robbins, who gives you a, a very detailed approach, this is a very simple approach. I read the book in a day to prepare for the interview. I couldn't put it down. It was profound. I wrote to the professor and said, I love this book. I think it's every bit as good as Your Erroneous Zones by Wayne Dyer. And that sold 35 million copies, but it was only ever meant to sell three or 4,000. That was all they ever cared for. it. But Wayne Dyer pushed and pushed and got interview after interview and did it. I think that that's part of this process. I would like every single person in the world to read a book like The Optimist. I would like them to read The Optimist because my friend was involved with writing it now. He's my new friend. He's a colleague. I interviewed him. But I've had no financial gain to make of that, and I resent when people think that that's why you would do that. And I also resent the fact that people think you're not allowed to make money in the freedom movement. That's also silly. But – Once you realize your highest power, your highest uh, possibility for yourself, because when you read that book, you can't help it, it automatically wipes out any depression, it wipes out any misery, and it replaces it with an action plan that automatically replaces said depression with hope. And that's the point. And when it's hope that's justifiable and achievable, it becomes a reality. So now you've got a blueprint for success that you can design in your own image, in your own plan. And I think that's the part of it. So therefore, what I'm saying is that despite the fact that we all must work together to be able to bring truth to power in the way that we want to, it also revolves around self-sufficiency. If you can't stand on your own two feet on your own or with your family group and be able to represent yourself and match your own needs and wants, then you're really going to struggle because at some stage you're going to be dependent on a system that is telling you to be self-sufficient in the first place. So that means upskilling, but it means an enormous amount of self belief. But it's not that hard when you go and get a self help book that helps you get your mind right. And I think that's the really, really important part of the process. So as I, um, you mentioned in my bio there, I do have a, a small counselling practice that my wife and I set up to treat people with mental health. But you know, that's getting people back to zero it means that they're you know hit rock bottom and we're lifting them back to where they were. But then you're on your own i believe that part of the counseling process should be part of life coaching building you up so it's hard if you're down on your luck to then pick up a self-help book and lift yourself up if you have deep-seated problems so that needs to be addressed too but when you get back to zero that's when the real opportunity starts so we are information warriors we know more information we've read more information over the last few years we probably have to discern that half of, here's a quote for you. There was a, a real unwoke, anti-politically correct Australian singer called Kevin Bloody Wilson. That was his name. And he used to sing racist comedic songs that were hilarious in the 80s when you were allowed to. But he did have a song uh, that, that, that the lyrics said, I've come to the conclusion and I get around a bit that half of what you read is bull and the other half's all shit. And I thought that pretty much sums up the world today. And we have to realise that it is a lot of bullshit. So, yeah, we're pretty much on the right track when we know what's going on and we stick to the facts. But all of us are looking for answers that are beyond the realm of reality. And in many ways what we're trying to do is impress upon others how intelligent that we are that we work something out before everyone else. But we can't be that intelligent and not have our own lives in order. And that's not to insult anyone. It's just to say that, yes, be intelligent, but get your life in order. It's a lot easier when you don't have to stress about where the money's coming from for next week's rent, mortgage, or whatever. And even when we do pay off our homes and the globalists will still try and make house insurance impossible that we can't afford it, so we'll have to sell our homes anyway. That's not the point. Again, you have to take control of your own destiny in that sense. So I hope that answers the question from the perspective of what I see. You must start on the individual before you get to the collective because the individual has to be in the right headspace before they can add value to the collective to get the real result that everyone's doing. And everyone loves a winner.
0: Absolutely. You cannot give what you don't have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell people, tell us no, tell my audience, uh, your audience too, where can they find you? What do you having going on right now? Tell us about your practice, You know all of that good stuff. So that people can reach you and and you know connect and then you know work with you if if possible.
1: Yeah, well that's wonderful. And thank you for the invitation and the opportunity. If you're on Facebook, you just look up World Series News and it's called World Series News Underground TV. That's my news channel. I'm sharing a lot of the work that I'm now doing on TNT Radio on there. And of course, you can go to TNTradio.live. Live. Uh, if you go on there, you can look up episodes and you can see all of my uh Previous episodes now on video and audio there. The show is called Weekends with Jason Olborn. Uh, last year I was doing Monday to Friday. I was doing a news global news hour uh, and now back on weekends. Before that I was doing a, a drive time show on, on Australian time in 2022. So we've been going for about two years now. Uh, I'm absolutely blessed that I was uh, given the opportunity to do it. I love doing uh, that process. My current show is all about long form interviews. So we do three hours on a Saturday, three hours on a Sunday. Uh, and I interview, obviously, six people a week. And I work from all walks of life uh, within the mainstream, outside of the mainstream, alternate news, facts, underreported stories, et cetera. This week, for example, I'm interviewing Ian Plymer, the Australian geologist, who's very much the resistance against the climate change hoax. I'm interviewing Mark Morrie, a Sydney crime writer, about Australia's biggest crime story, the Roger Rogerson Corrupt Police from the 1980s. Uh, He reported, and he actually knew Rogerson, who died a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm interviewing um, a man from England who uh, who went to jail for fraud and is now a, a big push uh, for prison reform in, in the UK. Uh, it's just some of the people. And another fellow called Rick Brown, who uh, has written a, a book called Woke Capitalism. He's worked for both Labor and Liberal governments. He's going to explain the establishment. He's going to explain where it comes from. Uh, in terms of going right back to uh, Marx and and, and Franchi from Italy. Uh, And he's also going to talk about uh, all the way up to Klaus Schwab. So that just gives you an idea of what's going on there for what people are doing. So a lot of research goes into the work uh, that's going on there. Uh, it still means that I've got a bit of time for Uh, uh if, if people can get on there. I do do Zoom um, consultations with people. So it doesn't matter from where you are around the world um, that uh, if you want to get in touch and um, depending on circumstances, I don't have to charge for my time. But of course, uh, it's a professional business. So that's, that's a separate thing. But the purpose is that we're all in it together one way or another. And this is a contribution to serve uh, our community and society as a whole. Uh, And society doesn't just mean the people living, it means the people who have gone, and it means the people that are also yet to be born. So that's part of the reason why we we try and build a society the way that it should manage for all of us. And I look back and think during that COVID period that both my parents were gone, they never made it to lockdown. How both of them, in in a way, it, it gives me some relief that they didn't have to live through it. Neither would have coped very well in that circumstance. My father couldn't sit still, I was a social animal, and my mother was always too busy and was always out there working really, really hard Uh, so I realized that that's part of it and I think all of us gain a lot from the process of reflecting on our loved ones and how we can um, honor those that can't be here in a way that makes us always want to live our best lives for those that can't be here too and I think that when you use that as your lightning rod, as your North Star I don't think you can go wrong
0: Absolutely, Jason Thank you so much for joining us It was an amazing conversation and um, looking forward to you know, doing another one sometime in the future. Thank you so much. And if you're listening to this, this is the Pioneers of the Great Awakening. Thank you for listening to Staying With Us. If you want to learn more about uh, the Pioneers of the Great Awakening, you want to go to JOURN.TV. That's J-O-U-R-N.TV. That's the homepage of our podcast. And this is an actual subset of the Planet Homemaking podcast where we go in depth, in detail with a system called the Gene Keys to uh, work out all the specific details of our inner work so that we can actually show up in the world and actually have a grounding both in yourself and in the future, in the stars so that you can connect uh, with all of yourself, not just what we experience here as the body, but who we truly are. Profound, profound work. We're almost close to 800 episodes on that podcast, and you can find both of those podcasts on Jorn.tv. And um, also, you can find our social media. We can also we're going to put all of the uh, links for uh, Jason in the page and where we're posting them. You can find him, but you can find all of our social media at the bottom right corner of TV. There's a support link. You click on that one. We have a Telegram chat room if you want to join us or you want to Contact us. That's the place to contact us. You can join our community on Telegram. We have three news channels. We got the NX channel, uh, formerly Twitter, a truth social and a Telegram news channel. And we're looking to post the most objective, logical information that's relevant to action right now. What's actually happening? How are we moving forward in this information war? We have our Rumble channel where we post all our video interviews of the pioneers of the Great Awakening. And if you are looking into integrating all of the stuff that's going on in your life right now, knowing this stuff, if you're going through these challenges, which is Knowing all of this stuff, how do you present in your life? How do you face a new life when you've decided to actually take action and have a different view, different perspective of reality and how your reality has fallen apart, how you rebuild into a new future? We have different coaching programs. We have one called the Activation Sequence Review. We go through the basic of what's called the Gene Keys and help people integrate three different aspects of their life, their purpose, their relationships, and their service into the world. We have a coaching called Life Design. This is integrating every aspect of your life with your deepest spiritual purpose, with your authentic self-expression, so that when you go into the world, you don't have to change for everybody. You are the same. You are not losing energy, and you are creating a a connection with a specific kind of people that resonate and actually accept you the way you are, and that's the way you want to live your life. You want to accept people as they are, and they want to accept you as you are, and that way you don't lose energy at the end of their day. You're not tired and you know, drinking coffee all day because who knows how many masks you wore throughout the day. This is what we've been trained to do to become other people in order for people to accept us. We have that called Life Design and we have a very specific coaching program called The Dark Night of the Soul. This is for people who are stuck in the darkness and they can't find a way out and you could be stuck on this one for 20, 50 years. If you're ready for this, it's not for everybody. If you're ready, meaning are you ready to, in the midst of your pain, your challenges, your suffering, your nothing, sometimes you feel nothing, you're depressed, to step out and be of service while carrying your pain with you. We can help you make that transition. And we have a coaching program called the Client Generator. This is for for, uh, for coaches and guides, both spiritual, business, and, and life coaches, so that you can use the power of podcasting. We train people how to use podcasting, the technical side, the marketing side, and also with all the spiritual assistance so that you can create a business and attract exactly the kind of people that resonate with your message, that people that can't wait to work with you, highly qualified client leads specifically, and if you are a coach or a guide. This is the one you want to check out. All of that at the bottom right corner of TV. That's J-O-U-R-N.tv. Click on that support button and you can find more about it. I am Epifanio. This is the Pioneers of the Great Awakening website. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this session. And I wish you a wonderful rest of your day or evening. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.